And, uh, you know, they're, they're saying where they're going. They're going to Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has spoken. So they understood like, wow, if something special is happening around Bethlehem with this star, this might be the very promise that we've been waiting to see fulfilled, the promise of the Messiah. Now go back to the notes there, please. We see that in Micah, he goes even further. So the quotation from Matthew doesn't go as far as this, but we see that the ruler of Israel is not someone who's just being born and starting to exist the day he comes in Bethlehem, but his origins or his going forth are from old, from ancient times. How many remember reading in the Bible that God is the ancient of days, that he is from everlasting to everlasting? And so now we see that the son, the child that's going to be given to us, that child has an origin from the time of the ancient one, from the time when God was there all by himself. Because when the, when the Bible starts, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So can God be matter, space, and time? No, God created matter, space, and time, heavens and earth. Are you with me? Are you listening? So God is there by himself, and then God creates matter, space, and time. But how does he do it? The Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. The Father begins to speak through the Son, and the Son guides the Holy Spirit. We see then that the Son comes down and forms man in his own image and starts walking with us. That is Jesus. And then we go throughout the Bible and we start to see that Jesus is appearing to us in his, in his pre-fleshly or pre-incarnate form. He appears to Abraham. He appears to Jacob. He appears to Moses. Who do you think is the one appearing to everybody? It's Jesus, amen? But what is Jesus now going to do? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Jesus, the one that's been there all along, as the representative of the Father, because we believe in one God who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son is now going to come in the flesh. Now track with me here. As he comes in the flesh, he's coming to be a ruler. He's coming to be a ruler. Now, don't you think Rome has something to say about who's going to be a ruler? <laughs> Don't you think Egypt has something to say about who's going to be a ruler? Don't you think all of the Chinese dynasties want to have something to say about who's going to be a ruler? So when you put it all together, Jesus is being born to overthrow the governments of the world and to become the sole ruler of the earth. Wow, that's pretty revolutionary, isn't it? Look at it if you don't believe me. It's not just spiritual. It's not just stuff up in heaven going on. No, watch. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Notice that the child, his flesh, will be born. Jesus is going to occupy real flesh, but the son doesn't get born. The son is given. Oh, did you catch that there? See, a child in the womb is going to start to be formed and born, but the son does not have a birthday. Jesus himself technically is not born and created on December 25th or whenever we think he came in the flesh. That's just the day he took on a child's flesh, a human flesh, and began to grow and live among us. Jesus pre-existed the birth through the womb of Mary is what I'm trying to say. 
So Jesus is the son that is given, and the child will be formed in the womb of Mary. Child will be born, a son is given. Because remember, Micah is not going to contradict Isaiah. Micah says that his origins, his going forth are from ancient times. He's been there from the beginning. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, another description of the Son. In the beginning was the Word, was the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son or the Word was God. But then the Word became flesh. So notice this now, for, the, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the what? And the what? And the government will be on his shoulders. See, all these people telling Christians to stay out of politics don't even understand what Christ came to do. Christ came to overthrow all political functions and parties and to become the sole ruler of the earth. Now people go, well, hold on, hold up, Pastor. I thought in America we're supposed to have separation between church and state. Absolutely. We as Christians don't do the overthrowing. We as Christians do not enforce the government to take on our religious priorities. But we as Christians can be in the government preparing a way for him to rule and reign as a theocracy. The difference between us and Muslims is Muslims believe it's the job of their followers to enforce the theocracy. Christians believe it's our job to prepare the way for the theocracy. So we do not enforce you, uh, enforce it in our government. We're waiting for Jesus to come. Now, how many have heard that in their history books, that that was actually why America was formed? America was formed predominantly for people seeking religious freedom to come to America and not be under the Roman Catholic Church, not be under the Church of England, and establish a democracy built in a republic where Christians could have a voice but not one church would rule. That's why we said no. Uh, that's why uh, we talked about there being a separation of church and state. Not that we couldn't have church in the state, because church always has been in the state. They have a, a, a chaplain open up every single Congress meeting. Are you listening? The church, the church has always been in the state as Christians. That's why in the 50s we put on the dollar bill and God we trust, one nation under God and our Pledge of Allegiance, etc. That's why we celebrate Christian holidays. That's why we do not have a day off for Ramadan. We have a day off for Christ's Mass, a celebration of Jesus. Are you tracking with me? So we were Christians in the state, but not making the state be a church. And that's truly what it means. But do we believe that one day... Jesus will rule the entire nations as he rules the church? Yes, because the government is on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. This is my Jesus. Somebody say, my Jesus. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his what? Of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and what? Forever. The zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. So everybody track with me. When Jesus first came, how did the Jewish people miss him? Go back to the notes, please. The Jewish people missed him because they didn't understand that there had to be a revolution of heart and mind before there was an overthrowing of the governments of the world. In other words, Jesus had to come first as a lamb before he would come as a lion. 
Jesus wanted there to be more in the rebellion against Satan and his forces than would be at that time. For example, if Jesus would have established the whole kit and caboodle, the whole kingdom of God around 30 AD, how many people would have been in that kingdom? A few thousand. Maybe a couple million if you included some of the Jewish people that were turning to him at that time. How many nations probably would have been represented? Not many. Not your nation. Not my nation unless you come from Israel, right? So if Jesus would have established the kingdom at that time, there would not have been a plurality of nations, every tribe, every tongue. Are you tracking with me? So that's why he said, what I've done, I've done for Israel in his first coming. He said, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. But after his death, burial, and resurrection, he told those disciples, those Israelites, to now go into all the nations and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, to make disciples, to go preach the gospel to every creature. Now, if Jesus was to come back 2,000 years later, how many people would be in the kingdom of God? A lot more. How many nations would be represented in the kingdom of God? This is why the Bible teaches us, do not think that God is slack in coming back or keeping his promises. This is being done because the Bible says that the patience of the Lord, the long-suffering of the Lord, is for salvation. The Lord is, is, is slow because he wants more to be saved. He wants our neighbors to be saved. He wants the nations to be saved. And so today, let's not make the same mistake of the early Jews who rejected Jesus because he wasn't conquering at that moment. Let us not say Jesus must have lied because we're still suffering and he hasn't come back to rescue us yet. No, our temporary suffering is working for the good of the gospel. The temporary suffering is the, is the fertilizer of the gospel. We must take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus to see the nations one. He said, you will be hated by all on account of me. That's what he said these end times would be like. So those of us who are here and we're suffering and we, and we know that it's part of the cost, we don't want to be discouraged. Don't let your, your heart become weary now in doing good for at a, a due season you will reap a harvest. Amen? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 45. The seed of the rebellion, the beginning of the rebellion started when Jesus broke the power that Satan had over this earth. Satan himself was a traitor of heaven, taking a third of God's army with him, looking for a place to dwell with his rogue angels. And so he came to our planet, the planet that was given to us to have dominion, to have authority. And he came subtly as a serpent to deceive Adam and Eve. And because of that, he was able to start a rebellion in humanity that he had also had already in heaven. And if you remember when Jesus was tempted, the, the devil said to him, he said, bow down to me. He said, first of all, all these kingdoms are mine. Bow down to me and I will give them to you. Did Jesus say on that point you're lying? No, because the authority had been given to Satan. Even Paul affirms this and calls him the lowercase g God or the ruler of this age. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 quickly, please, so you can see this. It's not like good and evil are wrestling back and forth like two WWE wrestlers, you know, and Jesus is going to body slam the devil, and then the devil gets him in a rear naked chokehold. Oh, no! You know, sometimes you see that as a meme. You know, Jesus and Satan, you know, they're arm wrestling. No, Jesus stomped on Satan like a scorpion. 
There is no more battle between them. The battle has been won. We stand in victory. We stand and fight from victory, not for victory. That will change your life if you get that perspective. But we still have to understand that Satan has his authority until Christ comes and takes all governmental rule from him and casts him into the lake of fire. So the rebellion is still happening. The rebellion is still now because he is still over this universe. God has taken the keys and the authority of him, but he's allowed him to reign for a short time. Look at it, Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You see, those who are not serving God are by default under the power of Satan. And so Jesus came to deliver us from Satan, deliver us from evil. That is to be our prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And when we go back to the scripture, go back to 1 Corinthians in our notes, we now have a choice. Do we continue with the traitor Satan and following the first Adam who rebelled against God? hoping that somehow God will change his mind against the judgment he's already proclaimed against Satan and his followers. Because remember, Matthew 25 said that the lake of fire was prepared for Satan and his followers. That's what it was prepared for, was for the original bunch that left. We never would have went there. If at the Garden of Eden, if Eve would have taken that little serpent and just swiped it down right off the tree and just stomped on it and said, I crush you in Jesus' name or I crush you in the name of the God I've been walking with this whole time, we would have never have known all the sin that we know now. We would never know what it is like to be in this place that can be at times hell on earth. We would never know the pain, the troubles, and all of those things. But because she and Eve, representative of all the human race, uh, because they fell, now we are here in this fallen state. And sometimes people say, well, I could do better than Adam and Eve. You can't even make it a day without sinning, most of you. <laughs> How in the world are you going to fall and not fall for Satan's lies, you know? So this idea like God should have just reset, you know, just cast Adam and Eve to the hell and just said, start it again with you and your wife. Now, you guys probably wouldn't even last half as long, right? So this is the truth that we, we continually rebel against our God and creator. And he could have left us in that state. And some people say, well, why did he give us a choice to begin with? Well, if you don't want to have a choice, you can ask somebody to lobotomize you and make you a robot, okay? But you see, we actually don't want to be robots, do we? We actually we want to make choices to love, to choices to hate, and you know, you know, make moral decisions. We like human autonomy. So the very person arguing against that, well, I wish God would do this, is actually a contradiction. Because when you say, I wish God would do this, what does that take to make that wish? Human autonomy and the desire of the will. If God made you a robot, you wouldn't be wishing for nothing, Jack. I love you, God. Now, now tell me that you're going to serve me. I will serve you, God. You see, you would never even have the volition to make a decision against his will to shake your fist at him. The, so when people talk like this, it's actually an evidence of a good God that they can shake their fist at God. A good God would allow you not to serve him. That's a good God. So a bad God wouldn't give you no other choice. So be careful what you're asking for. We believe in a God that gave us the choice between good and evil, the choice of the tree of life or the knowledge of good and evil. And we didn't choose the eternal life at that time. We chose the, the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. And how's that knowledge going for us? Right? Just look at, um, what's his name? Jenner. Look at the guy, Jenner. How's that knowledge going for you, sir? You've emasculated yourself, or at least pretend to do so, right? This knowledge of good and evil has made us redonkulous and fools, has it not? We're worshiping created things rather than the creator. We're, just, we're decimating our own human bodies, trying to be things that we physiologically cannot be. 
and we've, we've destroyed ourselves through that knowledge. So we are not able to have the knowledge of good and evil without God's presence and life in us. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, So it is written, the first Adam became a, a living being, the last Adam, talking about Jesus, because he was the only one that was born perfect like Adam. So Adam had the perfect uh, human body and the perfect physiology that he could not blame it on his environment or his upbringing or his body. Well, I was born a sinner, so that's why I sin. I was born around sinners, that's why I sin. No, Adam was not born around sinners, and he was not born a sinner. He chose on his own to sin. So Jesus is called the second Adam. He is now born perfect. That's why he's born of a virgin. He does not receive a sinful nature. Now, some of our friendly Catholics, they try to say, well, then Mary had to be uh, sinless for Jesus to be sinless. Okay, well, then Mary's mother had to be sinless for Mary to be sinless. And then Mary's grandmother had to be sinless. You understand the, the, the folly in that? No, Mary's mom did not have to be uh, you know, sinless. Mary didn't have to be sinless. All God had to do within Mary's womb was to create a sinless body. Can God do that without going into the infinite regress of sinless people? Okay, and we know that Mary didn't always do what's right because she gets checked by Jesus twice. Twice she gets checked by Jesus, once at the wedding and the other time when she comes with the other brothers because she did consummate her marriage with Joseph. The Bible says she did not consummate until Jesus was born because how many know Joseph had needs? <laughs> you all get quiet, but how many know Joseph had needs? You're not just going to be married to a woman and not consummate a marriage. It took enough faith for Joseph to first believe this is Christmas stories you won't hear at another church, right? <laughs> Joseph, Joseph already had to endure the idea that someone, that someone else impregnated his wife. You know, it was God that put the seed in there, and thank God it wasn't sexual. That's what the Mormons believe. Talk about an awkward Christmas for them. They literally believe that God physically sired Mary. That is the truth. But listen to me. Uh, Joseph had to already get over the fact that his wife was pregnant not from him. Of course he's not going to wait uh, or be a virgin the rest of his life married to Mary. So anyways, two times Jesus checked Mary. We know he was, she wasn't sinless. One at the wedding and once when she came with the, the siblings that she had and said, tell Jesus to come on out. He's causing too much trouble around here. And Jesus said, hey, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? Anyone who does the will of God. So if you're doing the will of God, you today have just as much preeminent in Jesus's mind as Mary did. Think about that. Mary was chosen for a purpose, just like many godly women were chosen for purposes. You can look at Sarah's life and other people in the Bible. But now, after the gospel has been preached, the Bible says that all of us get to have the same exact privilege of Mary. And it's the same thing with John the Baptist. He said, John the Baptist is the greatest of the old covenant, because it did seem like there was some rank back then. But now, even the least among us, he said, are greater than John the Baptist. So don't sweat it. You're in the kingdom. Amen? So there's the second Adam, that's Jesus. He's a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was made of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. So there, Adam started his creation. That's when Adam started. When did Jesus start? Way back in heaven. That's where he comes from. He's of ancient times. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As is the heavenly man, so also are those of heaven. So Jesus now is, is in heaven with those in heaven, and his nature has been changed after the resurrection. He gave us a little taste of that at the transfiguration, but now he's in his full glory. Even John, his good friend, when he saw him on the Isle of Patmos, was like, this is not the Jesus I remember. Boom, he fell right down and started worshiping, couldn't even look at him. His eyes were blazing like fire. Amen. Come on, somebody. Let's get ready to meet that Jesus. He's not coming back as a baby in a manger. Amen. He's not coming back down in a, in a cask, in a, I mean in a little, what do you call those things, a basket, in a little cradle, and you're going to go, goody, goody, goo. 
I'm so glad you're back, baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is back. Here he is. No, you're not going to be talking to him like that. Swords coming out of his mouth. He's riding, he's riding a white horse. Praise God. Now watch verse 50, uh, 49. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Everybody get this. Somebody say earthly man. Heavenly man. This is the seed of the revolution. Are you now going to turn away from the earthly man and turn to the heavenly man? All of the world, the Bible says, is under the earthly man. They may be under different religions. They may be under different mindsets. They may fight even amongst themselves in, in different ways. But they collectively are under the earthly man. They are under the image of Adam, who was a rebel against God, who caused sin to come into the earth. Now it's your choice. Do you want to rebel against your flesh? Do you want to rebel against the powers of this world? Do you want to rebel against the principalities that are at work to deceive you and to torment you and your family? Or are you just going to go with the flow and stay under the occupied authority of the traitor from heaven? See, because that's where you're living right now. See, this is the valley of the shadow of death. You and I are in enemy-held territory. This city is held by the principalities of darkness. It is being manipulated by those authorities. Once again, go to Ephesians chapter 6, please. Once again, our battle is not with them, but they, the people of flesh and blood, have chosen to represent the spiritual forces of evil. And so those spiritual forces of evil use humanity as their pawns. So you are in a cosmic battle. And it is a cosmic battle of the ages. But it's not truly against the people that you see representing the devil. It's against the forces. Would you go to that passage, please? I believe it starts somewhere around verse, uh, verse 10. Finally, somebody say, finally. Come on, Paul. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? The devil's schemes. Well, I thought, uh, Paul, it was all taken care of on the cross. We heard on the cross that the, the power of Satan was disarmed, that the enemy lost his authority. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Paul, why are you telling me to do anything? Isn't it already done? And that's where you get into the principle of already but not yet. It's already done in the heavenly. Satan knows who's in charge, but it is not yet done upon the earth. There are still battles to be won in Jesus' name by his authority and power. You are to cause a great rebellion in this land and to overturn the works of Satan. That's actually how God is bringing about his kingdom. So you and I are saying, well, the kingdom of God, it will just come when Jesus comes. I'll just sit and chill until then. No, you are to take the kingdom of God against the gates of hell and tear it down and bring heaven to earth. You are commanded by God to plunder hell and populate heaven. You and I are supposed to be world changers, history makers. And then at the grand finale, then he comes. So in other words, Jesus does not come for a defeated church that's hiding somewhere saying, oh, I'm just hiding until he comes. We're so scared. No, Jesus is coming for a church full armor battling against Satan, winning in his name. And he comes and he gets our back. And he enforces everything that we have been talking about, everything that we have been teaching. And he says, that's right. I'm with them. Bow down and worship now. 
On that day, there'll be no atheists. On that day, there'll be no rebels. Let's take a pause. Go to Psalm chapter 2. He will break their kneecaps with a rod of iron. Are you listening? He will stomp on them as a person stomps on grapes. The grapes of wrath has meaning in the Bible. The Bible says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up against the rulers, arise up and, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the father and the son saying, let us break off their chains, throw off their shackles. The one in heaven laughs. He's laughing at what the politicians and what they think they're doing right now. He's laughing at China. He's laughing at the Middle East. He's laughing because they think they're doing something against his kingdom. And the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in anger, terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. He has done it. Now keep on going down, verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. So on that day, if Steve Jobs doesn't want to bow, God will break them in front of us. If Muhammad doesn't want to bow, he will break them right in front of us. He will give them a resurrected body just so he can break them in front of us and then torture them forever. You're like, dear Lord, how is that loving Jesus? Jesus is so loving that he created a hell to torment those who disobey and rebel against him. Why? Because that's eternity without him. You get to make that choice. In the end, you get exactly what you want, an eternity without Jesus. And an eternity without Jesus is torment and hell and punishment. That's what they wanted. That's what they get. No one will feel sorry for the sinner on that day. You won't be saying, oh, Aguela, or, or, or grandpa, or father, or mother. On that day, you will be rejoicing in the glory of God. Because all of us are accountable to God more than we're accountable to our friends, our families, and all of these other people on this earth in relationships. Jesus says, you're accountable to me. He will break them with a rod of iron. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Do you remember watching? Some of you, I'm sorry, I'm not as holy as others who don't watch movies, but I do watch movies every now and then. Do you guys remember with the Avengers when the Hulk took a hold of Loki? Do you remember? <laughs> I remember that. That's what he's going to do with the Muhammad. That's what he's going. I'm so serious. This sounds crazy, but this is the God of the Bible. You better fear him. And by the way, all of our ancestors who grew up saying stuff like fear God, this is why they said that stuff. You fear COVID more than you fear God. Man, you better start reading the Bible. I do not fear something that has a .05 death rate. I fear the one that has 100% death rate over you. A, a one, he, he literally said it like he told us this. He said, don't you fear. Listen to me, disciples. This is Jesus talking. He said, don't you fear those who can kill your body. You better fear my father who can kill your body and your soul in hell. Now, we've been listening too long to Joel Osteen and these other preachers that have lost the ability to preach that we think that that's crazy Jesus. No, that's normal Jesus. That's my Jesus. That's how he talked to people. He said, this is how it's going to be in the end. And he did it for our own good because what is he trying to do? He's, he's not trying, but what is he doing by talking like that? He is helping us make the right choice. That's, it's always the case. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, God's speaking to the Israelites. He says, blessings and curses. Just go there so they can see it quickly. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, the blessings, only a handful of verses. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the country. You'll be blessed when you come. You'll be blessed when you go. I'm telling you, it's only about 10 verses. We're going to scroll through it so you guys can see it. It's Deuteronomy chapter 28. He goes through the curses. He doesn't stop. He does not, not double, but triple the amount of time to explain to us the curses. Why is God doing that? He's trying to scare the hell out of us. 
He's wanting to teach us that you don't get this because you got accidentally there. You don't accidentally get under the curse. You don't accidentally go to hell. Same thing with Jesus. What did he talk more about, hell or heaven? He talked more about hell. Why? Because heaven, you won't be disappointed. It's basically like just Jesus saying, trust me, I got you. And really, if he's already told you the truth about everything else, does he have to bribe you to get to heaven? No, all he got to do is say, there's some mansions up there. There's, it's going to be beautiful. You want to be there. That's all you need to know. There's a place for you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. You got me, Jesus? Yeah, I got a place for you. Look at it. Start in verse 1. These are the blessings. Scroll down a little bit, please. It goes all the way down. Let's say verse 1. Just keep going. You're going to see when the curses comes up. He goes all the way down with the blessings to verse 14. 1 through 14, blessings. Now scroll down from 15 all the way to 68. These are the curses. These are the curses. He ain't done yet. He's still talking. Keep going. These are the curses. <laughs> Here they are. Any questions, class? This is the part of the contract you better understand. Keep going. Did you, did you just see it? It's an illustration, but it's simple, isn't it? Blessings, 14 verses. From 15 to 68, don't you do this because this is going to happen. Don't you do that because this is then going to Don't you even think about this because this is going to happen. And if you think it stops there, it doesn't stop there. It goes to this. Now, how many are happy you live in the place of the blessings? And how many know no eye has seen nor ear has heard how good those blessings are? Because once again, you don't have to describe love. Just tell me in one sentence, you know, love. My wife tells me she loves me. She don't have to keep going on and on. I know what that is because I feel it with her. But the torment of this, man, you better describe it. You know, this is what it would be like if, if you know, my wife came to me. She said, I love you. But if you leave me, this is what it's going to be like. <laughs> it's going to be like this, and it's going to be like this. And you're going to have to go get this operation because I'm going to cut off. And I'm going to do this, and then you're going to have to fix this part of you because I'm going to mess up this part of you. Uh, hello. But she can just say right now, what does she just say to me? I love you. Oh, means more than words could ever say, right? Going back to the notes, good sir. Thank you for coming today on Christmas uh, service. How many are enjoying it? Amen. We're going to be of the heavenly man. Let's go down a few more scriptures and we'll get out of fear and continue to preach the gospel to wherever we go. This is our time to get trained up, amen? We don't live in this space. We live out there. We want to change the world. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. I want to cause for you a bit of a contradiction and see if you can settle it now. Just, you know, to yourself. On the day of his birth, what happens? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Okay, everybody say peace on earth and goodwill towards men. That's a traditional reading, right? Now watch Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and onward. We'll just start in verse 34 for sake of time. Do not suppose, Jesus talking, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Okay, here's a contradiction. How do you solve it? Go ahead and see if you can get both the verses up there so we can see it on the notes. In one place, the heavenly uh, beings come out and they say, hey, this is what it's going to be like. Goodwill, peace. God has sent his son. This is amazing. Well, then what happens when Jesus is actually here? He says, don't think I just came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Is that a contradiction or are they complimenting each other? They're complimenting. How are they complimenting? They're complimenting because God's peace is to bring the sword. Now you say, he said to Peter, put down your sword. No, it's not our sword. It's the sword of the spirit from his mouth. His sword is going to bring peace to this earth. 
You ever talk to people and they get upset about evil? I'm just so upset about evil. Why is there evil here and evil over there? Why doesn't God just get rid of all the evil? What do we say back to them? Okay, let's start with you and get rid of you then. Because where does evil live? Where does evil live, smart guy? Does it live in the knife? Last time I checked, my knife didn't want to stab anybody today. Does it live in the substance that cocaine is made out of? Last time I checked, those, those plants didn't get anybody high just chilling there growing. We're supposed to know better, aren't we? So where does evil live? Evil lives in our heart. So if God wants to get rid of evil, what does he need to do? Get rid of you. Or, here's a great idea, he can first get rid of evil in your heart before he gets rid of you and give you a choice to have the evil out of you. Therefore, when he comes to take out the trash, you're not going out with it. Go to the end of the Bible, please. Revelation 22, last five verses. Check this out. You do not want to be where the trash is at. You do not want to be where the dogs are at. You do not want to be outside of the kingdom of God. But that will be your choice if you do not want to serve Jesus and be a part of his revolution to overthrow Satan and his powers over this earth. That's where we'll be. Go all the way down to the last five verses, please. How many have ever read the book of Revelation? How many know that has gotten you a little bit to think about, helped you fear God a little bit? Look at what it ends with right here. He ends with the spirit and the bride. This is the church and the Holy Spirit working together and to preach the gospel. Now keep going on down, verse 18. I pray, uh, excuse me, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy. If anyone adds to them, God will, take, uh, God will add to that person the plagues described in the book. If anyone takes away from the prophecy, God will take away from that person. So don't mess with this prophecy. Speak it the way it is, okay? And then now what does it say? Come, Lord Jesus, come. And let's just go up a few verses. I'm sorry, it's not the last five. It's right before that. Uh, here we go. Jesus talking, red letters. Uh, verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. How many are going back to that tree of life? You're done with the tree of knowledge of good and evil, doing this on your own, right? You're done with that. You're going back to the tree of life. And then notice this here. It says they have washed their, uh, their robes have been washed. That means by the blood of Jesus. They go into the gates of the city. Outside are the dogs. Who are these people? Who are those that are outside? Those who practice magical arts? the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So if anybody up to that point goes, you know what? Well, I don't practice magic. I don't really have sex outside of marriage, so I guess I'm pretty good. I don't murder. And maybe they would even say I don't hate. And then they might say, well, I'm not an idolater. I don't worship Buddha or anything else. I think we could show them they worship themselves. But let's just say on the surface level, they're not an idolater. What does the last one do to encapsulate everybody else? Anyone who loves and practices falsehood. Well, my God would never judge. My God, you love and practice falsehood. That's where you go. Well, I believe in Buddha, and I've become a better person. You love and practice falsehood. Well, I just think that we're all just energy, and when we die, we go back to energy. You love and practice falsehood. Anything else that Jesus wanted to cover right there, he just covered there. You believe a lie, and you live a lie outside of the first things we just learned of washing in the robe, of washing in the blood of Jesus, your robe, and following Jesus. Anything, we can summarize right there. You loved and practiced falsehood. Now, going back to the notes, please, how do we resolve that? is that Jesus brings the sword of truth, and that brings peace. So what is he going to do with evil? Cast it out with the devil and his followers. So do you want Hitler to go to hell? Yeah, because Hitler deserves justice. Does he get to kill 20, 30 million people that he gets to do and then just blow his brains out at the last minute and not go to court? 
not face judgment? Yeah, we believe in judgment, don't we? But then now here's the same thing. Will you accept the judgment of you going to hell if you don't have Christ? I mean, you're not going to have a choice, but do you understand? It doesn't just work for Hitlers of the world. It works for all of us because we are trees. We are treacherous following the, the traitor of heaven if we follow the ways of sin. Remember, Adam and Eve's first sin wasn't uh, mass murder, genocide, child molesting. The sin of Adam that brought the curse upon the earth was a disobedient heart, rebellion, pride towards the God of heaven and earth. So if they could be cast out and sentenced to hell, and I do believe they repented. I think we get some of that from their story and, and from their regret and all of that and then being covered uh, as they leave the garden. But the point is, if they could bring death, hell, and destruction for one disobedience, how much more will we deserve death, hell, and destruction because of all of our disobedience? Now do you know why Jesus came? Jesus came to start that rebellion against Satan and his forces of evil that we might come back into a love relationship with him. Notice Jesus continues on, verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So he's teaching us now our alliance is first to him. So who are the best mothers and fathers? Those who put Jesus first. Then you'll be the best father and mother. But if you put your children before your God, you will be a horrible mother and father first and foremost because you've never taught them the ways of God and you'll be separated from, their, from them forever in a lake of fire. Is that a good mother? Well, I'm a good mother because I make mac and cheese every day. I'm a good mother because I provide for them. Okay. So let me ask you a question. You can provide 80 years of a great life for your children, and then they suffer hell for eternity, or you can teach them the things of God for 80 years, and then they get the blessings of God for eternity. What does the good mother do? The good mother teaches them the things of God for 80 years so they can have eternal blessings forevermore. Does everybody get it? Now, should we be able to do both? Amen. We provide and we do that. But let's just say you just had a choice. Let's say it's one of two choices. Choice A, you can be um, a Kardashian, okay? Let's just talk about Kardashians today. You could be, who's the one married to Kanye West? Kim, thank you. Nobody, no, nobody's going to feel, you know, like judge you for that, but thank you for knowing. Kim, who's her sisters? Kylie, this one and that. See, I know some of her sisters. Yeah, see, now I'm telling them myself. Nobody judge us, right? We're in this world, but not of this world. Okay, anyways, amen. I'm teasing. I, I find myself watching some ridiculous stuff sometimes, to be honest with you. Sometimes if you came over to my house, you'd be like, Pastor, I'm disappointed. <laughs> you know, I'm disappointed in you. How is this on right now? Why are you watching the Kardashians right now? I've, I'm just being honest with you. Pray for me. So let's just imagine, here are your two choices. We always believe there's a choice in the middle. Many times when it comes to these moral dilemmas, you know, it's like, do you want to be rich or happy? Well, can I be both? I would like to be rich and happy. Why do I have to choose? Okay, moral dilemmas oftentimes have a middle decision. But let's just have the moral, with the, the moral dilemma with the two opposites. One side is over here. Kim Kardashian, and you're raising up the children, and you do not teach them the things of God. But you get to have the most you know, opulent lifestyle. You, know, you get to have everything you could possibly imagine on this earth. That's you. That's who you are. That's what you get to do. They get the best life for 80 years, but then go to hell for eternity. 
Or do you live, uh, you know, in the ghetto or, you know, in the place of like where I went, where the untouchables were at in India. You live in a, a shack. You live in something that is just, you just can't believe people live there, right? You have to use the bathroom outdoors. You don't have any electricity, no water. You are out there and you don't have medical. You don't have food. You have to pretty much beg for it, right? So you live with the untouchables of India. You are a mother. Put yourself there. I wish I had the pictures of when we went there with these precious people. And that's where you live. But for 80 years, you teach your children about Jesus. Okay, you teach them about Jesus, how to love Jesus, how to keep Jesus' commands. And then for all of eternity, they get to be with Jesus. Which one is the good mother according to what we learn in the Bible? The, the one with the untouchables, right? Now, of course, if we could not be poor, if we could have what the Kardashians have and use it for Jesus and then whoop them at their own game, that would be wonderful, amen? It's like delete Facebook. We got God's book, and now we got more followers than he does, and we got all the goodies coming, right? But here's the deal. Jesus is telling us, whoever loves father or mother more, you're not worthy of me. So when it comes to that dilemma, you better make the right choice. It's God every time. That's why the Bible says, what does it profit or gain a person to, you know, to have the whole world yet in the end lose their soul? Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Oh, I got all this stuff. You will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Vinny, would you come, please? Last scripture for today. Second to last. Now, let's go to the last. Let's go all the way down to Matthew. Matthew chapter 21, verse 43. How many want to join the revolution of Jesus? How many want to stand against the things of the devil and the things of the flesh and stand for the things of Christ? Once again, does that mean we stand against people in their humanity? No, we love people. We stand against their stupidity, their sin, right? I love the sinner, hate the sin. I love the people of this world. I love the people of this world, but I don't love what they do. And if you ever are in a, an argument with them and they just can't get that, let's say you're even more of a rebel and you have a Christmas family gathering, you know, in a couple days, and you're talking to one of your relatives and they just can't understand why you go to this church and all of this, just say it to them like this. Do you love me even though I go to Metro Praise International? Do you love me? As a person, do you love me? And most common sense people will say, yes, I love you, but I don't like that you go to Metro Praise International. Then say right back to them, in the same way, I love you, but I don't love that you support abortion. I don't love that you support the LGBTQ lifestyle. I don't love how you look at the politics and government of this country. I don't love that, but I love you. Now, let's talk about our ideas. Let's talk about our philosophies, whatever they call them, right? And then every time they go, yeah, there's this, this real smart person over here, and they said this, this, and this, you could just be right back. Yeah, there's this real smart person, his name's Paul, and he said this. You get it? So every time they quote, you know, somebody over here, you go, yeah, 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 let, let, me, let me show you what John said. Let me show you what this guy named Luke said, you know? They didn't have three divorces, two counselors, and Prozac for breakfast this morning. Let's start with that, right? John, John didn't need the two counselors to get through life and, and volume, right? I always say that to people while they walk by. Seriously, while we're preaching, if I'm in a sassy mood and I'm downtown, and I'm like, we're talking about Jesus, folks. You got any time? And they're like, no, I'm good. And I'm like, that's not what your counselor said. <laughs> that was the time for it. 
That's not what your counselor said. Your counselor was like, my goodness, this person is messed up, and I thank God that they are, because I get $100 an hour to try to fix this person. Come on. I'm not putting down that industry, but you get my point. That's the world's first resort. The world's first resort is let me find someone to fix me that doesn't have the answers, really. Thank God for counselors and all they do. But let's go to Jesus first and and see what we need fixed by him and then let other people help in that process. But the truth of the matter is we need Jesus. Here's how Jesus wants us to look at the end. This is the Jesus who was born to come start a rebellion against Satan and his forces, to turn us back towards God so that the kingdom of heaven would come on this earth. Notice what he says here. He says, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. These are talking talking to Jews now who didn't want it at that time. He says, it's going to be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Look at Jesus' ultimatum here. Either way, you are getting broken apart. But there's one that you want. There's another one you don't want. How do we look at it? The beautifully broken one that we want is us like as if we had been drowning in the ocean and we have nothing left. And all of a sudden, we see from a distance a rock sticking out of the water. And we just come to that rock, swim as we might in all of our energy, and we just fall right upon it, broken, nothing left. And we just fully surrender to that rock to put us into safety and to keep us from drowning. And so you fall upon it and say, I can't do it. I need this rock to do it for me. I need this rock to hold me together because I am broken now in pieces. I'm going to die without this rock. That's what we're supposed to do is just fall upon Jesus and say, without Jesus, we're not going to have a blessed nation. Without Jesus, we're not going to have a blessed family. Without Jesus, we're not going to see our schools become a place of of peace again in our neighborhoods, etc. We're not going to find Jesus to rescue us and help us if we don't fall upon him. Now, the other illustration is just like what it sounds like. You're walking. A rock falls on you. And there's nothing left of you. There you go. There he or she went. Serious, right? That's Jesus. Jesus is saying, you'll be going through life. You'll be like, well, I got to go do business here or there. I got to go help my kids go to college here. I've got to do all this. The rock of God is going to hit you one day. And you will be so crushed that there'll be nothing left of you to bring it together. You will find yourself instantly in God's judgment, whether it's him coming on clouds of heaven or you dying and being at his, his, his throne. You will be so crushed, there'll be nothing left of you. You won't be able to show God your wealth. You won't be able to show God your influence, your education, any of those things. It will be blown to smithereens, as we would say. It will all be annihilated. And all that you'll have left now is those choices you made against God. There will be no bribe you'll offer him on that day. And so what do I say to us today? Because so often 
we think that now becoming a Christian, we got to do, 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 do. We got to do this. We got to do this. And I got to, you know, I got to stand up for Jesus. And I don't, you know, I don't want to be a coward and all this and that. And then, then what do we do with that mindset? We feel like we're not going to be able to do it, like we're not strong enough. But God is teaching us the exact opposite of that. He's not saying to you like this, you know, I want you to meet me in London. I want you to meet me in London. And here's what I want you to do. Flap your wings, flap your wings, flap your wings. And then you're going to fly, and you're going to fly, and you're going to fly, and you get to London. And that's how I'm going to meet you there. And so you're sitting here going, I, I can literally not do that, God. I, I have nothing in me to do that. God is not that kind of God. He's not saying, I want you to live holy in this wicked generation. I want you to love your enemy. I want you to do all these things. And you're looking back at God going, I have zero ability to do that, God. I am going to fail at that every time. No, what God is doing is saying, here's a plane ticket. Here's a plane ticket. Are you getting that? Here it is. Here's your plane ticket. That's how you get to lo- I fly you there. I fly you there. It's not Jesus is my co-pilot. No, Jesus is the pilot. <laughs> Come on. Jesus, I don't even want Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, why did I ever have the wheel? What am I? Whoa, that's a problem. <laughs> It's Jesus, have the wheel, have the plane, have the car. Take me, Jesus, where we're going. That's the illustration you're supposed to have is you're just falling on Jesus going, take me, Jesus. And in that, there is a doing. In that, there is a living. In that, there is a working. But it's not for the purpose of trying to accomplish that. I'm not working to accomplish salvation. I'm not working to to save myself or participate with God in saving me. What we're doing as we're working, being on that plane or in that illustration, is we're just enjoying the ride, serving him, doing what he's asked us to do. And we're not earning the gas of the plane. We're not keeping the thing up in the air. We're just walking around as stewards, as waiters, as servants. And we're saying, God, what do you want me to do? I'm up here. I'm living for you. I'm in the kingdom. What do you want me to do? Well, I want you to go over here and I want you to talk to this person. Okay, God, I'll go and talk to them. If I messed it up, it doesn't mean plane crashes doesn't mean I'm going to hell now if I did something wrong the other day doesn't mean everything's going to fail I'm still flying with Jesus I can ask for forgiveness I'm protected I'm safe and God's got my back and he said that which I began in you I will be faithful to finish in you and so we can trust God that what we have taken off with him in the salvation in the kingdom this rebellion against the forces of devil we will receive the reward. We will make it in the end, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Amen. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus? Come on. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, for being born to start a rebellion, to save a sinner like me. Everybody say this with me. Thank you, Jesus, for being born to start a rebellion, to save a sinner like me. Oh, thank you, Lord. Would you thank him for being born? Thank him for going to the cross. Thank him for saving you. Those who are already saved, give him glory. Altar workers and band, would you come quickly in closing? We're going to close out, but if anyone needs prayer, these prayer workers are here to serve you, to love you, to be a blessing to you. Fall on Jesus today and let him break apart all your self-reliance. Let him break apart all your pride fall on Jesus today. Let him start a kingdom rebellion in you. To rebel against the kingdoms of this world and to join his kingdom. A few moments right now, if you don't know Jesus like that, just pray, Jesus come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you're the Lord of my life. You were crucified and buried, rose again for me. A few moments right now, we'll just close in worship. 
I hope that everyone has a great Christmas. Stay safe, right? Do all the good things that we're supposed to do. But let's keep standing on this message. Not because we're earning our salvation or because we have some kind of a death wish, but because we want to see God's kingdom come to more people. We want to see his love, his forgiveness. Lord, I pray for everyone here and their family members. Whether they see them this Christmas or not, God, I pray that there'll be a witness to them, whether it's in person or online or a phone call, that, God, there will be souls saved and disciples made this holiday season. We pray, Father, for our nation in Jesus' name, for our nation to repent and do what's right, to, to turn towards you, oh God, for you to bring blessing to our lands. Heal us from our perversion, sex outside of marriage, gender confusion. Heal us of our lies and our corruption, our greed, our injustice. A few more moments. Just pray or worship with us today. Father, we pray for our young people that they will join this rebellion against the entertainment industry, against their sports stars who are leading them astray. We pray for young people to follow Jesus no matter what the cost is. God, we serve your ruler today. We serve the ruler who came from Bethlehem, born of a virgin, but his going forth, his origins are of ancient times. We serve him today. We do not want to be crushed. We do not want to be broken to pieces. Oh Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, oh God. Start in me, oh God. Start in my family, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You have been good to us. I heard one preacher say, God has blessed America. It's our turn to bless him now. It's our turn to turn, to turn towards him. closing, I'd like to sing an old song. As those who are praying, please keep praying, but would you put up there, Lord, prepare me, my brother, please, and thank you, to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, because today we want to house the move of God. You know, in so many ways, we're like that manger, that dusty and dirty thing on the outside that contains the glory of God. We are that temple, that earthen vessel made of clay. God lives in us now. Amen. We're going to sing it out loud. It's real simple. Lord, prepare me. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy.
We'll sing it one more time. I sense God in this place, but as we get ready to sing it, if you could hold, please, I want you to think about your life now being that city on a hill, you now being that example to the world around you. It doesn't matter what they think at the, at the beginning when they hear you or get to know more about your beliefs. Give it time because I believe you're going to see what God's going to do through you. So right now, would you imagine yourself like a city on a hill? You're going to shine forth for Jesus. You're going to be an example on your job. You're going to be an example to your family. It may shock them. It may be offensive to them at first. But by God's grace, we're going to believe that you're going to win them over. And they're going to say, I want what you have. I want to participate in something that you're doing because it's changing the way you are in a way that I desire. Think about where your influence can be, where your light can shine. There used to be a day when CEOs would give glory to God at their annual quarter, you know, the, the end of the year fiscal meetings. My dad would talk about that as he worked for some of these businesses. We hardly hear that anymore, do we? I pray for that to come back. I pray that those here who are pursuing education and in the, the fields of uh, you know, research, oh, to God that Christians would be known as being on the cutting edge again because we're leading the way, that we're being people of influence, that charity and acts of compassion, we're leading the way. One more time, now would you sing it with a desire to be prepared to do something great for God? Lord, prepare me to be a... Come on, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Wherever I go, Jesus, whoever I meet, pure and holy like Daniel, I might be in Babylon, but they're going to know something's different about me. Oh, I'm tried and true. I'm going to give you the glory everywhere I go. I'll be a living, I'll be a living sanctuary. sanctuary for you. Lord, bless us as we celebrate you this week. Keep us safe and bring us back together. In your name we pray.